0: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next
1: adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to Colorado Hunting Hub. This podcast is designed to talk about everything hunting in Colorado, whether you're a new hunter old-timer or something else, Colorado Hunting Hub will have something for you. I'm your host, Clint Whitley, and let's get started. Than
0: land, it ain't my this is God's hey
1: everyone, thanks for tuning in to Colorado Hunting Hub. We've got a cool series for you in this uh, next four episodes, and they are going to be region-specific. So, we're gonna start with the Northwest region and speak with some different CPW representatives to chat with us about those regions and a little bit about the herd outlook, the herd health, mainly around deer elk, and ended up being a little antelope in there as well. And then chatted with them about license allocations, a little bit of that, uh, and then uh how the wildlife is managed in each region. And I had the same question set up for all four interviews, but each one ended up being a little different. And even though I do not hunt in three of the units or regions, I should say, uh, I got something out of each one. So even though you may only hunt in the Northwest, I would consider checking out the Southwest Southeast and the Northeast region audio. So that's coming up. We've got a couple of biologists on the front range. And then on the Western slope, we've got the, you uh, to listen to their titles, but uh, uh, Western Northwest region, public they deal with the public and so kind of the, the publication. So sorry, Randy and Joe got messed up your, your titles, but, uh, they're in the, in the main portion of the podcast. So, so, uh, great guys there. And then, uh, Julie in the Southeast, uh, awesome there. And when I'm recording this, I hadn't quite done the Northeast one yet either. So some good stuff in all of these, and we're going to pump them out all four at a time. So I hope you enjoy and get something, region-specific or get motivated to try out something new, maybe like the over-the-counter white-tailed deer tags in the Southeast. That was something new and kind of cool. So check that out. But before we get to that, we've got some giveaways that we're doing. Kind of crazy. I've got 99 people registered for the Onyx membership giveaway that I'm giving away, 12 of them over the next, well, 12, 11 months. I've emailed six people and redrawn the uh, May winner over and over. Nobody replies. So check your email. I'm giving, trying to give these away, and I can't. So hopefully that doesn't happen with the Vortex Binos. I posted on my Instagram that I pulled them out of the box. Sorry about that, but I had to, and I was quite impressed. I mean, I've got some. uh, I've got a bigger set of Binos that I have the vortex razors and then have some mavens but quite impressed with these 10 by 42s and they'd be really nice to have a little smaller pair the for for shed hunting or hunting period or something a little lighter weight for backcountry so they're they're pretty sweet little set of binoculars only 279.99 is what the msrp is on those uh and i've only got 183 people registered so i'd say that's not horrible odds and uh, then we also have the XL Mountain Gear backpack. There's only 130 people registered for that thing. So we're not talking like one in a thousand right now. Your odds are far better than many, many giveaways. Uh, and this pack is that you could potentially win is valued at six hundred to six hundred and eighty bucks. It all depends on which one you pick. They're gonna fit it right to you. And I tell you what, this is a pack. You need to get, I have no, this pack is not in my possession. So, uh, it's going to go right, fr- come right from XO. So you get, get that good fit. So I wish hope, hope maybe one of my hunting buddies wins it. So, uh, <laughs> I know they're outfitted. So other things we got going on, uh, appreciate I hunt Colorado's Facebook page. If you haven't been over there, uh, make sure you like, ask to be a member of that group. Uh great group of guys, the admin there. And, uh, cause we almost chat daily on, on messenger about different things. So check out what's going on there. Uh, nice to stay up to date on some good things and, uh, be a part of a hunting community. Make sure you follow me on Instagram, Facebook, Colorado hunting hub, and if got questions or comments, email me at clint.a.whitley at com. You can also find this podcast on Podbean is Hub, beancom You can find it on YouTube. You can find it on Apple Podcasts. You can find it wherever you're listening to right now. Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, wherever you want if you don't like the platform you're currently using. I currently do everything on Apple Podcasts. And there, you could leave me a little five-star review. That'd be helpful. And uh, subscribe. If you subscribe, you're going to get these right away and you don't have to... Uh, sometimes I forget about podcasts and, and Certain ones, ones that I don't listen to continuously. So uh, it's nice to subscribe, and they're there. So when I'm out of cell range or something, it's like, oh man, I ran out of what I normally listen to. I need to listen to this other one, like the XO Mountain Gear uh, Pack or the Backcountry. There's this Backcountry uh, something or other. So sorry uh, for messing out. But they've got one, and so I subscribed. So I've got those episodes ready to go. When I'm out of cell service and can't download them. So here we go. We've got the Northwest, the Southwest, the Southeast, and the Northeast. Region with CPW. Should be something for everybody out of these, as long as you hunt in Colorado. So enjoy and let me know what you think. Well, Joe, I want to thank you for coming on to the show and uh talking to us about the Southwest region. We have, are trying to get all four regions plus a statewide look at herd outlook, kind of an understanding of maybe how licenses are kind of allocated, but mainly just kind of uh, learn a little bit about the that region. So, first of all, could you uh, introduce yourself, What's your role, how long you've been there, where with the agency?
2: Sure. I'm the uh, Public Information Officer for the Southwest Region for Colorado Parks and Wildlife. i uh, been in Colorado for over 40 years and uh, been down here in, in the Durango area where I'm based uh, for 15 years now. And uh, I, I talk about just about everything that pertains to wildlife.
1: Cool and what's uh i always like to be, ask people but what's your what how do you recreate what's what drives you
2: well uh biggest thing for the outdoors for me is fly fishing um i have hunted it's been a while since i've hunted i'm getting a little old unfortunately to be tromping around in the woods but um i fly fish and do some backpacking a lot of hiking uh some bicycling and bird watching that's Those are the things I really enjoy doing outside.
1: I had a great day on the Colorado the other day. And I have been in Colorado for eight years, never been on a drift boat. And a professional guide buddy, friend of mine, invited me just on a whim. And I had a blast. I had a really, really good day. We caught a lot of big fish. and Where were you? I think we caught... On the Colorado,
2: yeah. And, where on the Colorado?
1: Uh, um, I'm not sure if he told me I'm supposed to say because it was kind of early. But I'm going to release oh, this okay. later anyway. <laughs> Secret but, spot I between. Understand. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't get a lot of pressure, <laughs> and okay. uh, um, yeah. So I'll tell you offline. But the so between uh, Grand
2: uh, Junction and Denver somewhere. huh? Okay, close enough.
1: Right about in there, right about in there. <laughs> <laughs> I think we caught, I caught 14 fish and wow. eight of them were between 17 and 19 inches. Yeah. Like just everyone was a pig after pig after pig. I just, yeah. I'd never been, I've never been with a guide before or anyone to critique my stuff. Uh-huh. And it was just uh, unreal to have someone say cast right there. Or like wow, okay we're coming up great. on this you see this stuff you hit, see the shelf there it is there it is hit the bubble and hit it hit it it just was very intense and i've never wow i've never fly fished with it being so like intense not just a not just a relaxing thing but it was a you get one shot at it hit that little yeah. crease as we go by or we'd stop and try and hit some stuff so that was that was very memorable and and very fun so there's my fly fishing story yeah. for For the year so far, sounds like I could I could Uh,
2: use a uh, session with your buddy too. So,
1: oh gosh, yeah, I just just the little I've been fly fishing since I was in middle school, but I think I learned more in a five hour float than I have in the last ten years combined. Just unreal. And I've heard that before. I heard that go with a go with a guy just one day and learn something. And I just have. Well, one, I'm cheap, so I'm not going to hire anybody (laughs) Two, just (laughs) never got the never got the chance. But uh, so you're you're working the southwest region. Uh, Can you kind of give us an idea of just like what the boundaries are?
2: Sure. Uh, The southwest region basically goes from um, uh, on the north um, would be the uh, middle of the Grand Mesa and then it takes in all of the san luis valley um, the gunnison basin uh, the montrose area and then all along the south tier of the state uh, you know from pagosa springs uh, west to cortez and the straight line um, it's um, dominated by public land we have uh, so many wilderness areas down here for People who really like to get out in the backcountry for backcountry hunting or or fishing or or backpacking. You know, we got the Weminuche Wilderness, which is near Durango, biggest wilderness area in uh, Colorado at about a half a million acres. And um, there's about eight or ten more wilderness areas really spread throughout throughout this region. So it, it's really a a great region for uh, people who like the backcountry.
1: I've kind of heard that south of me, I'm in Silt area, Silt Rifle Glenwood, and I've kind of heard that that's some of our wildest country in the state, Uh, and and I haven't really explored it too much. I went down to Gunnison the other day and checked out some really cool property and camped, but never really, I've never actually been down in Durango, never been through up over the Red Pass, haven't been over any of that stuff, but from what I understand, you got some serious jagged mountains and rough country and and you can go back in there quite a ways
2: yeah there are some areas that you know people want to go hunt in and um you know as as a public information officer i i do give people a little warning that uh you know you're in tough terrain but the tough terrain off often also uh produces some good results so um not discouraging people, but uh, it's good to know what pe- what what you're getting into and in, in some of these areas.
1: Yeah, elk like uh, really steep, nasty country. <laughs> if you want to go find an elk, go hunt steep, nasty country. Yep. Yep. Uh, what uh, and most hunters or all hunters that year we look at uh, the game management units, not so much the. Uh, uh, st- Oh, what do you call them? The, uh, data analysis
2: units. Right. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we're familiar with game management units or hunt units or whatever you want to call them. Mm -hmm. What, uh, what are some of the units comprised of in the region? Are they mostly over the counter? Are they a lot of some trophy units? What kind of give us a rundown of the makeup of the region?
2: Yeah. It's it's a, a mixed use. We have some limited areas um and um we don't really call them trophy areas. We we like to call them quality areas where you're not going to see too many other hunters. Um for elk um uh, unit 79 uh which is over above the San Luis Valley and then unit 61 which is uh, west uh, of Montrose, those are two big um, quality areas uh, for elk. Takes a lot of points to get in there, um, but it's not the only place you can find elk around here. Uh, for deer, uh, the Gunnison Basin is renowned. We don't uh, put out too many licenses there. A lot of big bucks, um, and those are units. Um, uh, oh, just example be. 54 55 66 and 67 um and then down around pagosa springs um unit 77 78 751 uh those have really been showing some great um uh stuff for mule deer uh in the last few years Uh, our our uh, district wildlife managers and biologists have been pretty surprised at the at, you know the number of deer are that are showing up in there and uh, and when you've got a lot of deer you usually have some nice bucks so um, that area is uh, um, not real well known. obviously all deer licenses in Colorado are limited so you'd have to put in but uh, fewer points down there in, uh, in, in Pagosa. the Gunnison area you know you're gonna need three four points. Um, but again, that's well worth uh, checking out and, and putting in for those points.
1: You're in beautiful country that as far as I the parts that I saw, it just looked like fun, fun buck country to hunt. It just was yeah, you know, it's
2: great. You know, Gunnison, Gunnison has uh, yeah, Gunnison has, you know, kind of sage country, and there's a lot of at huge, huge aspen stands and and then you know, you get up higher around Crested Butte and and uh kind of uh, going to the east towards the towards Monarch Pass. Um, very empty country, um, and and well worth well worth exploring and and uh trying to get a tag up there.
1: We saw the public announcement on state public trust lands. How, how does that? affect the southwest region is there much for public trust lands in that area and anything that's going to be opened up because we do we did see and i spoke with randy in the northwest region where that is going to be an impact of the goal of opening up a million acres in the next few years and it looks like about a quarter of the way there for this first Mm -hmm. year so is anything in the southwest. You know
2: in the south well, I mean there's there's state trust parcels um uh, basically everywhere in the state. Um it's not so prominent down here because of all the other public land that we have. Uh, a lot of these state trust lands are in areas where there's minerals and and uh, places, you know, there's uh, agricultural leases and things like that. A lot of that is in the Northwest, and the majority is out on the plains. Um, So, uh, you know, the Southwest, it doesn't come into play that much just because it's really not necessary because of the expanse of National Forest and and BLM um, that we have in this area.
1: Great. And what's the – I've heard some things about the Southwest – herd uh, in down, down in the Durango area having a having a tough time on things but speaking specifically to elk and then if you could move on to deer kind of what what do you see as the overall health and outlook of the deer and elk herd in, for this year and maybe into next year a little bit
2: yeah uh, talk talk about elk first and and uh, feel free to interject uh, if you have a question but the southern tier of Colorado in the last 10 years, the elk populations have been pretty stagnant
0: um,
2: and even in some areas declining a bit. Um, we're not exactly sure why that is. I mean, there are still lots of elk and people still harvest here. Um, but uh, from our uh, flights in uh, early in the winter when we fly and look for uh, elk herds, and, um, you know, reports from hunters and from our district wildlife managers, they're just getting harder to find. And, and so there's we've done a couple of things to try to figure that out. First of all, there's a big study going on. It's, it's a six-year study and basically covers the area from Trinidad, um, really all the way to west of Montrose, um, and in specific areas... Um, we're going in and collaring females, uh, checking to see if they're pregnant when, when we collar them. That's, that's in the spring after they're bred. Um, and then we're actually going in after um, the uh, cows give birth, and we're uh, chasing down these young calves and collaring them and following them you know, on, on GPS. And basically, what we're finding is we're not getting what we call recruitment. A lot of the a lot of the calf elk are not making it uh, past um, their uh, uh, inter, basically, and um, and and so that that's a concern because if you're not getting survival of of calves, uh, the population is not going to you know maintain. Um, Uh, sustainable sustainable levels, and it's certainly not going to grow. So uh, what we're trying to figure out is, you know, what are the, what are, what's affecting this uh, survival rate? We're still only, we just kind of completed the first year. We really don't have any, um, any statistics or any real good Look at what's going on, but you know over the years biologists have talked about this, and it's probably a combination of of many things um, We've been kind of in a prolonged drought down in this area of the state, um, so there's you know just fewer water resources available uh, to these animals got a lot of development pressure you know in in um, really throughout Colorado, but for some reason it's uh, having more of an effect down here. And with, um, development, we've had loss of, uh, winter range, uh, for deer and elk. Um, uh, there's probably some predator effects, um, and, um, uh, recreation is, is grown huge down here. Well, I've talked about, you know, what fabulous country it is. Um, we have more and more people recreating year round and, um, uh, and that's part of this study too, looking at some recreation effects. Um, you know, if hikers are walking through a calving area, um, early, you know, really about this time of year, is that affecting elk and, and, and how they, how they can survive. So, um, we're looking at a lot of things. Again, it's a long-term study, six years. And usually these things will go longer. Um, again, trying to figure out what's wrong. Um. We Again, there's still elk down here, and if you hunt hard and, and go to the places, those nasty places you mentioned earlier, steep north-facing slopes, um, that's going to, you know, certainly increase your chances. But uh, the bottom line is Colorado so, Parks and Wildlife knows this is a, a, an issue, and, and we are working on it, you know, on, on science-based management to try to figure out what's going on.
1: So it kind of sounds like there's a possibility of maybe a carrying capacity reduction, and maybe that is through development, or it's just one piece of that. And with a drought, maybe that's reduced food sources, or uh, like you said, the the wintering range. Maybe there's some more development of some sort in that area, all reducing the ability of the habitats to habitat to carry carry more or something like that i don't know
2: yeah the uh, you know carrying capacity is is a difficult uh determination because um i mean we live in the 21st century and we know that there are, you know people are going to build houses and and expand their recreation and stuff um so um it, it, you know people bring up carrying capacity but it's nothing that we can really define um but we we do look at, you know, these other, like I say, many of these factors, um, and um, all of them have probably some uh, effect on, on animals and how they behave. I mean, obviously, we don't see elk in downtown Denver anymore or downtown Colorado Springs. Uh, you know, right. 150 years ago, you could find deer and elk, you know, right out right on the uh, outskirts. Of, of those cities. Um, so, uh, again, um, you know, we humans have an effect and our job as an agency is to, uh, work to mitigate those effects as whenever possible and try to come up with solutions to, to make sure, you know, these herds are sustainable.
1: And I had heard from Perry Will, I was having a work lunch with him Is one, now one of our legislators, but at the uh, time, I think he well, well, he was at a legislator at that time, but mm-hmm. spent a lot of time with the agency and he had mentioned one of the neat studies that had been done around some of the, the survival rates of fawns and had mentioned that they kind of have, he said, it's almost better to have a, a dirt bike go cruising through an area than like a hiker or a biker, because if they come through and see that animal, it's a, longer time for that stress level to be high on that young calf and creates that stress and then you've got he said something like if you have seven uh, interactions with that animal then it had like a 30 percent chance of survival if you had 10 or more interactions with that animal while it's calving or it's on the ground that it's almost got a zero chance of survival and i just never thought about it. i i always know like don't touch it don't see it don't you know mess with them but i never thought of the stress level on those little little fawns and calves that are that are laying there that that could actually kill them having that that person walk by and see and point out and talk around it and all that sort of thing yeah
2: well uh, you know i know perry and great guy and with all due respect there there have been uh a, Uh, there's a huge number of studies looking at recreation effects on wildlife. And um, um, it, those studies do show that, you know, loud recreation, snowmobiles, dirt bikes, um, those sort of things, you know, OHVs have, have more enough, have more of an effect on uh, how critters behave. And, um, and, and basically I, I'm not familiar with with all the details but basically they say that um if a um uh, uh, it's the noise level that will drive uh, those animals further away so if someone's walking through quiet they they might move you know a half mile away if you've got a real you've got a loud dirt bike or ohv coming they're going to move a mile away um and um and so you know, quiet recreation is showing that, you know, that it's better. Uh, now, uh, but what's happening is with with more devices, mountain bikes are, are a pretty big deal. You know, a mountain bike can go f- much further back into the backcountry than I can on foot. So if I, you know, if I can hike, you know, comfortably six miles into the backcountry um, on a day and, you know, and then back or, or camp there, you know, a mountain bike can go. 12 or 15 or 20. Uh, and so we've just got a penetration of more people going further into the, into the back country. Um, and um, uh, so, so again, getting back to the, there's a lot of, there's a lot of factors and, and we're probably never going to be able to put our finger on one alone um and not trying to discourage people to, from going out on their pack bike on their you know on their on their on their uh, dirt bikes uh but it is an effect on the back country that you know 20 years ago we didn't have
1: yeah and according to i mean what we learned in middle school and high school science around the scientific method you, your your guys is variables are too great and it's impossible to narrow it down to one variable you can't that's you can't not have have just test one variable you're you're basing things off of uh some very educated guesses and and the data you see and making inferences and trying things so that yeah and then also thanks for clarifying clarifying too on on the other study oh moving on to deer a little bit Mm-hmm. Is there anything cool, great, or any other research yeah, projects well, going on with them?
2: Yeah, deer um, you know, we've had um, survival studies uh, going on. Uh, this is in Middle Park, which is in the Northwest region, and in the Gunnison area for, for many years. Every, uh, in the, in the um, uh, late winter, the biologists will go out and they'll try to collar, um, you know, 50 to 75 uh, does and then you know follow their movements, see how they do um in the gunnison area deer are doing are doing very well um and uh like i say down in the pagosa area deer are doing well we seem to be stabilizing over on the uncompagre plateau which is west of montrose the the, the deer population has gone down there over the last decade um and uh in the Durango area, uh, again, we've had a decline uh, in, in our populations that biologists have been able to figure out. Um, you can still find deer, you know, if you hunt, uh, but we, you know, we're, it's probably the same sort of effects that we're seeing uh, with elk. Deer are, are a little more sensitive to lower level um, winter range areas and um, and so uh, they're not as tolerant as elk that can live in deeper snow uh, so they need a a good amount of winter range Um, and but in the pagosa area like i said uh, you know it's only 50 miles west of durango big area the deer populations look good one advantage we have down in this part of the state is is south of um, of Highway 160, which kind of runs from Bogosa all the way over to Cortez, a lot of that area is um, tribal land of the Southern Ute Indians, and, um, and, and there's little national park, Mesa Verde National Park, and, and, um, and the development pressure in those areas isn't as high, and it's great winter range, so, so that's a great advantage that, that we have down here. Um, so you know, deer populations are, are probably holding steady. Um, you know, we'd always like to see, always like to see more deer on the landscape. Um, uh, but um, uh, you know, again, we're keeping an eye on them. We're, we're collaring deer. One other thing that's happening down here is um, the I-60 corridor has a couple spots where there are a lot of deer. Um, and uh, vehicle collisions the deer will move up to the womenoch wilderness to the north during the summertime and then migrate south um, as the you know as the snow starts to fly and there's a uh, several pinch points that have been identified and we're working with the southern ute tribe and the Colorado Department of Transportation um, and we're actually going to be building uh, there have been some built but we're going to be building uh, it looks like a wildlife overpass and a wildlife underpass, uh, probably, you know, it's maybe halfway between uh, here and Pagosa Springs. And these deer, you know, have been migrating for thousands of years so they have their spots picked out that they that they move through and um that's not to say every deer and elk move through this area but uh but a high percentage of them do so uh, i think later this summer uh there's going to be some construction starting on some overpasses and underpasses and um you know that 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 should show a huge uh effect it's been done on highway 9 um, up in the northwest region, which goes kind of north of Silverthorne all the way up to Kremling area. And they've shown uh, tremendous use by wildlife, everything deer and raccoons and coyotes and moose um, and uh, elk and bears. So we're really looking forward to, to that being, uh, uh, you know, helping the situation down here too
1: you're my third CPW interview on kind of this topic. And you're the third person to mention that Kremlin area and that, that overpass. Cause it's, yeah. it's a popular and a, and the reason why everybody's been bringing it up is the success. And as a, a great example. So we you've seen all the wildlife overpasses that they got with like caribou herds and whatever else in the North way North. And so it's kind of cool to see, those being put in around here. Cause yeah, that was, that's been the dismay of one of my childhood hunting areas growing up in the Southwest part of South Dakota is v- vehicle collisions and yeah. how rough that's been on a herd. You wouldn't, wouldn't think a deer here and there would be that big of a deal, but a deer every day is, or something like that is, is quite detrimental I'm sure. Yeah. I mean,
2: some of the, some of the biologists, you know, say that we probably, you know, as many deer die on the highway as, as in the harvest during the hunting season. And, you know, that's a, that's a lot of animals. Um, So, you know, anything we can do to prevent that is, is a plus. Plus it's, it's good for us people driving around in vehicles uh, too, because there's, you know, billions of dollars in damage uh, and, you know, even injuries, uh, from people hitting, uh, deer and elk, uh, every year. I haven't, I haven't hit one in a long time. And so I'm hoping it'll stay that way. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, for sure. So the 2020, 2025 big game structure stuff came out just not too long ago. Is there any things in that that you see as being maybe positive or some of the, uh, big changes for that'll impact the Southwest region or specifically in there for Southwest region.
2: Yeah. One of the uh, other aspects of, of uh, you know, trying to work on the elk herd in Southwest Colorado is we're the first area of the state uh, that has limited licenses for archery hunters. Um, over the years, archery hunting has grown 25 to 50 percent in the southwest part of the state, as opposed to uh, rifle hunting, which has stayed flat or declined. And um, um, one of the reasons we've been uh, we've been looking at that and, and finally push that through with the support of uh, the majority of archery hunters. By the way, is archery hunters were able to go out and, and they could basically had an either sex license and, um, you know, they could kill a cow or a bull. And, uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, hunting goes, you're out there for three or four days and you, and you don't see that bull that you want and, and you want some meat on the table for the winter. So, you know, you take a, uh, a, a cow. Um, and, um, and the other thing is, is, uh, archery hunters are out there during the middle of the rut. And, you know, there is some concern that maybe we had too many people out there in the, in the woods, when those elk are are rutting, and so um, for the first time this year, and the draw has already occurred, um, people can uh, people have to apply uh, for a limited license. Uh, so, basically, if you want a cow um, or if you want a bull in certain GMUs, um, you'll have to a- apply for those. Um This year, as we kind of phase into that, just about anybody who applies for a bull license is going to get one um so
1: hey Joe, um, I lost you, know, you
2: protected you know the these archery hunters who've been doing this for years, and that 'll probably go into neck into the into the
1: hey uh, uh, hey, t- hey Joe, sorry i i I lost you for oh, just a I'm second. Sorry. and so you were just saying that the uh archery hunters you they reduced the number of archery hunters and then i lost you the last like 15 20 okay. seconds okay oh okay i'll i'll back up then um
2: so this year uh, for the first time in the southwest region um we've instituted limited licenses for archery hunters so instead of a archery hunter able to go out there and Basically, get an either sex license. Um, now those licenses are sex specific and specific to GMUs. Um, and you know, one of the thoughts is is that uh, archery hunting has grown tremendously over the last uh, ten years, twenty five to fifty percent, depending on the area there. Um, and so biologists are wondering if having a lot of people in the woods basically in the month of September which is the uh rutting time for for elk if it's having any of a any effect on on reproduction and how they're behaving um and you know for years we've been cutting back rifle licenses uh and so rifle hunters have been taking the brunt of the cuts And we thought, you know, as a matter of fairness and to try to figure out what's going on out there, uh, it's time to reduce the number of archery hunters in the field also. Um, This year, go ahead, I'm sorry.
1: And it just sounded, I I follow, as a member of Colorado Bowhunting Association, I follow some of that stuff and it sounds like that might have been a positive move something that they were were uh pleased to hear just to to help create that opportunity and to help create a, a good experience for hunters
2: yes we've had a lot of we've had support uh, on it from bow hunters um and uh we we had a meeting down here gosh it was last uh I think this was la- beginning of last winter and uh, and we had about a hundred people out and most of them were bow hunters, you know, saying, Hey, yes, please limit these licenses. Um, and, uh, you know, we want to, we want to see more elk out there and, and not more people. Um, sorry, my printer's is going off. Um, so yeah, we had a lot of support from bow hunters. Uh, they've said, yes, you know, we we're willing to limit our opportunity out there. If we can, uh, Help the elk herd, so we're really pleased about that, and um, and so we'll see. You'll see how it goes. All the anything with wildlife is a long term uh, venture, so you know it's going to take several years. And and I know a lot of the the other regions in the state are also looking at at how it works out down here too, um, to see if, if if we need to make similar changes throughout the state. What's
1: your thoughts on the uh some of those seasons being pushed back a little later Uh, so like uh third second third fourth being just a few days later and impact maybe on some of the rutting deer
2: um you know it it's always uh you know kind of a crapshoot looking at that stuff but if you look at you know our winners really in the last gosh 10 years in colorado um you know it seems winter is coming later uh in the year and um uh, you know some weather always helps um uh, you know hunting out there uh in those areas where we know we've we're going to have a lot of for we could have a lot of four season hunting uh harvest um, the uh, biologists really dial back on, on the number of licenses available in that fourth season. So while they're still hunting in the fourth season, you know you still want to uh, you know take out some animals uh, in in those seasons to to make sure you maintain the herd. and uh, there will not be any sort of a, you know huge biological effect um uh, in in hunting in those later seasons the the bigger effects are disease and you know if you got a really bad winter and and really you know um you know cold unusual winter that goes on into the spring so um those those late seasons uh, again they're well controlled and um uh, people are not going to see any kind of effect they'll there'll be people complaining about it as they always do. Um, but, um, uh, again, we manage by science and, you know, we care just as much about those, uh, you know, the deer, uh, populations out there as anyone. That's why we're in this business.
1: Yeah. And we had a great conversation with Randy in the Northwest about that exact thing. And, and that, you guys are not necessarily number one. Your goal is not to to please everybody. The goal is, goal is to manage the wildlife and to, uh, people are just a tool in in, in that process and, and people have to go listen to that. Cause I don't want to repeat the exact same things, but it was, uh, he had a good explanation for like how and why CPW manages what they do. So that was good stuff. Yeah. Uh, Southwest region historically has the Mexican gray wolf in that area, kind of, and Northwest is seeming to get more of the uh, northern species coming down into the, that area. What what do you see happening down there right now? Any wolf impacts or, or population growing? Just overspill from. Other states, or what do you see?
2: Well, the the only wolves that have come into the state have been up in the far northwest corner, um, and um, we don't have any any of the Mexican gray wolves that have made it into uh, Colorado. And uh, and honestly, Clint, uh, th- this is a, a very fraught political issue. And no if anyone <laughs> wants to learn, <laughs> if anyone wants to learn about uh, you know what uh, CPW uh is you know how we stand with wolves. The best thing to do is to go to our webpage and look at our wolf management uh page. It's pretty easy to find. Just type wolf management in the search window and you'll get a bunch of uh a bunch of information. Wolves are um managed by the United States Fish and Wildlife Service. They're the uh uh they're uh you know endangered species and uh and so we don't um, have any management, uh, control. If, if wolves make it down here, uh, they are protected by the, um, by the threatened and endangered species act. Uh, but other than that, that's really about all I can, I can say about, about wolves.
1: Okay. No, that's great. That's absolutely great. I, it's nice to hear the clarification then too, of status of that, that more, Southern subspecies ish, I guess Mm -hmm. you could say. Mm -hmm. Um, But one, one last question for you is just asking for advice folks that are coming to Colorado to hunt deer or elk. uh, Do you have any kind of general advice for those folks that are looking at the Southwest region, just either preparedness Mm -hmm. or what to expect, that sort of thing.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the first thing I always ask, first question I ask people is if they've ever hunted in Colorado before, uh, obviously a lot of high altitude hunting here, uh, rough country. Uh, so, you know, be prepared, uh, you know, try to get yourself in some kind of a shape. Um, a lot of people will say, well, you know, I'm going to go and backpack five miles into this area and then, you know, hike four more miles and hunt from there. And, you know, I always caution them that, uh, you know, once you, you know, you get back there and you kill something, you know, that's when the real work starts. Uh, And, you know, dragging an elk out uh, 10 miles is, uh, uh, you know, that's pretty difficult work. Uh, so just be aware that, you know, where you're going to be in Colorado is, uh, you're going to, you're going to be in some challenging terrain. I'd like to, you know, one thing I like to do is kind of get on the edge of all these wilderness areas, and then you can hike into the wilderness area and, you know, camp, you know, car camp just outside. So, you know, you have plenty of water. Um, and, uh, you know, unless you have horses where you can really go back deep into the back country, um, you know, that's probably a, you know, a, a good, uh, kind of strategy, uh, to use. Um, the other thing is, you know, a lot of people, they, they say, well, gosh, you know, I want to hunt the, you know, the Silverton area, you know, it's a huge area. So you want to, you want to get a, a map and, um, want to make sure that your, um, you know, you're not trying to hunt, you know, a 30 square mile area uh, where you're getting in your car and driving every day. You want to be able to get up in the morning, get to your hunting spot, you know, and, and hang out there. You know, you don't have to move a lot when you're when you're hunting deer and elk, especially elk. Um, so um, just, I guess, don't get too far over your skis, so to speak, when you're, uh, you know, when you're trying to figure out um, you know, how to hunt. In, uh, in some of these areas uh, generally for elk you know you're looking at uh, north facing slopes um, you know pretty nasty terrain those elk are smart when they get any pressure going on they'll they'll uh, you know find another place to go um, and and um, um, you, you know the further you know if you're looking at a map the further you can get off of those roads uh, uh, You know, the better, and I'm not saying miles and miles, you know, if you can get off a road a mile, um, you know, and you also have to get off, get off of those OHVs um, and uh, get on foot because you're not going to be seeing elk and, and, or deer, you know, riding around road, uh, forest service roads, because there's a lot of other people on OHVs too, so. Um, those would probably be the biggest and you know and then you can give you know give me a call or give one of our local offices a call um and uh, you can get good maps from the U.S. Forest Service too
1: yeah the uh you're planning for getting an animal out my gosh that is so the truth and and (laughs) I've looked I've looked at country and it was the last weekend and me and my buddy just stood there and just listened to elk bugle we found our little honey hole and just listen to him. And are like, one, you, <laughs> my buddy, uh, wasn't in the shape. And I just is starting to have some back issues. And we decided we can't responsibly hunt this because we Real. would struggle getting something out. And so we just backed well, out. Like and to we hear were, that. Yeah. And, and we backed out and decided, I guess we'll try it again next year. And I went in the next year. That was last year. And had an unbelievable hunt unbelievable Mm -hmm. and just we didn't harvest uh, because i work we're working on getting my dad one but we had some unbelievable encounters and uh now for this next year going into that same spot i can't just plan a weekend of going in there i gotta have a buffer of especially by myself because i like to hunt by myself or with one other guy i gotta plan a solid day and a half two days of just getting an animal out and that's that's only four miles in, but it's a rough four miles. So, um, call me <laughs> yeah. a weenie or slow, but I I cover country pretty darn good, and I put more weight than I should on my back. But I know, I know that is going to be a bear to get something out. I know it, and I'm yeah. I'm planning for that. So one thing that I would add to to your advice there is know how to understand kind of meat spoilage and being able to care for that meat ahead of time and know how to put it in some into some shade and watch and understand those things you, we learned in basic hunter safety of the three things that make make game meat spoil you know moisture dirt and moisture. temperature Yeah, temperature yeah and heat so (laughs) there's a Uh, lot uh, of
2: videos out there you know on how to bone out an elk and it's a really good idea to to watch those we have a video just on basic you know gutting an elk on our website You can go to our just go type in videos um on our website and those will come up but and you know getting back to you know being in the woods i mean you know hearing a bunch of elk bugle or you know even seeing them from a long ways off when you don't have a good shot i mean that's hunting, you know. That that's that's uh, that's as much of a thrill as as uh, a lot of times, you know, as actually harvesting an animal. Uh, so don't uh, diminish those uh, those experiences. That's you know, we only really, I think the overall harvest rate uh, for in Colorado is about fourteen percent for all manners of take. So. You know, chances are you're probably not going to kill an elk uh, out there, uh, but you know, savor the the rest of the experience because it is uh, it is a rare treat.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I've dug down and in deep into the archives of CPW's videos, and you guys have. And I've made some connections with some folks over in Denver. You guys have a big library, and there's a lot of things out there that are really good uh, educational things. And I know there's. Oh, a lady that was creating, uh, like a series as a new hunter and following her, her path through it, uh, as a CPW employee and, and little things like that, that they're all over. So, uh, people should dig into those some, because there's, there's some good things like you're even the online version of the brochure, there's videos in that versus when you got that, uh, when you click on that, there's some good things there. So uh joe i want to thank you for coming on the show and i appreciate your your time very much and your information
2: yeah well thank you for uh for doing this putting out the information good luck with editing this i laid a lot of stuff on you but um hopefully you'll find a few nuggets in there
1: oh yeah yeah it is it, pretty solid It will be good so all right i thank you so much okay Side of this one
0: church town, there's a gold dirt road to a whole lot of nothing. Got a deed to the land, but it ain't my ground, this is God.